You are listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both, shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Welcome to The Welding Podcast, where today we begin our fourth series with my guest, Diego Agujo, who is an independent researcher and multifaceted artist, creating contexts that continue practicing and investigating the relation between body and the event. Today we explore the intersection between capitalism, spirituality and the art world, so really big topics, and attempting to blur the line between what is work and life. This is provoked especially in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic, but not only. Thanks so much for joining us, Diego. Yes, thank you for the invitation. I'm very glad you invited me. I first met you, Diego, in 2018 in Berlin in a workshop you were hosting around Betraying Ambition, your 2017 book in which you critiqued the ideological implications of ambition in the art world. It was really great actually to reconnect with you and feel three years later how much you've progressed in these ideas, especially in relation to professionalism and non-professionalism. Maybe you can speak a little bit to those ideas. Yeah, sure. So... This book was born out of the, the need of coming clear about certain things, such as what does it mean to be an artist or a professional artist, and especially what, what moves artists to, to be or to do such a thing. And I noticed that the, the term ambition was always treated in a very benevolent way. So I started to be a bit suspicious because, uh, yeah, at least for me, it had also pejorative connotations. So the book tries to also bring this other understanding of ambition and, and how through uh, capitalism uh, ambition became something good that people should be, but also yeah, what, what the book is problematizing on, on what does it mean to be ambitious and also bringing the, these questions about what moves you to make art. Uh, is it art a job for you? Is art like a way of um, gaining uh, status, uh, making careers, success? etc. Uh, and if not, if art is not just a, a professional activity for you, what else? Uh, why do you make art? And then, I don't know, like uh, sometimes in the conversation with people, the word mission appears, like the artistic mission beyond professional uh, demands or market demands. So I like to think in that terms, like what is the mission of, of art or the artist in society, but also in the, in the personal realm? And I guess that uh, this is something that me personally, I try also to, to struggle with this and, and always to keep in crisis the, the identity of an artist that never feeling too comfortable of wearing the suit of, of artist or at least a professional one. And I like this term of anarchism that Marcel Duchamp made up, which is also like a way of being always about to stop being an artist or becoming an artist. So it's like this ambiguity that uh, allows you not to feel super comfortable in the in the outfit of, of an artist. And I don't know, I, I, it's something that I like to suggest to other artists also to, to feel uncomfortable uh, or let's say, or, or to put that 
to put in crisis the, the identity of, of artists. And then the term of dilettantism was also like a, historically has been the understood in opposition to professionalism as if the dilettant is not as good as the professional because yeah, he's simply doing things because of hobby. And I, I've been also trying to bring light into this term because uh, it is not necessarily like that. Dilettant uh, literally means to delight oneself doing an activity. So the, the reason to do something is, is pleasure. And for me, pleasure together with uh, death, I think that there are two of the main reasons to to make art or to yeah to venture oneself into into something. So it's another term that I like to use, dilettantism. I really love that idea of delighting oneself. I feel like at the moment also with various stages of lockdown happening in different parts of the world, I think it's interesting how we're kind of reassessing what we find pleasure in when we have the time and the space to perhaps reflect on it or also have access to things or not access to things, you know, like if your hobby was tennis and now you can't go to the tennis club, it kind of causes you to question what brings me pleasure and yeah, whether it is in your work or your life. It's a very good question, I think, to keep coming back to. I did notice, Diego, in going through your practice and all the different hats you wear, that definitely this idea of being kind of a jack of all trades, it's a Australian term, actually, for someone that does a little bit of everything, something that did go through, like a through line, was this investigation between body and the event. And I was really excited by this because it resonates a lot with welding, actually, and shaping and being shaped by your surroundings. Could you tell us a little bit more about that, how you're working in between the body and the event? So I will start first with this idea of diversification of what you do or what I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, to be anti-specialist or anti-expert is something that comes along with what I said before about not feeling comfortable wearing one only one suit. And I think that uh, this is something that it happened to me because actually I studied philosophy, but then I, I ended up working in the art field or contemporary dance field. And I was never feeling a philosopher or I was never feeling like an artist. And at, at the same time, I was feeling both. So I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone can have the already the experience. Sometimes labels and classifications are very restrictive and limiting, especially how people approach you or see you. So I don't know. I like to also to take it in a playful way, this idea of uh, not finding one, one name or one word to define what one does and actually to always try to keep it ambiguous. And, yeah, I think ambiguity in itself is a something of value and the idea of body and event I, I chose these terms because when I was thinking about what is my research about because sometimes I, I, I use the word researcher or independent researcher to to define what I do because researcher for me is something very uh, open and not necessarily related to academy because actually this is why I, I put this independent first because uh, I'm not associated to I mean I'm not doing PhD or I'm not belonging to any institution when I do my research. So I think that research in itself is something, it's an attitude in life. It's not necessarily a profession. It's, it's a way of how do you understand being in this world and uh, exploring, having experiences, uh, going somehow through a process of learning. is something that for me is primary. And no matter if I'm 
doing it through philosophy, or no matter if I'm doing it through art, or through somatics, through, through body work. I think that at the end, the reason why I do something is because I'm interested in learning, I'm interested in arriving into new, new forms or new ways of being in this world or being with others in this world. And I, I need this constant uh, actualization of, uh, of what is my relationship with, with the things, with, with, with the world. And I think that the researcher has this main mission. So the event, uh, I mean, the body, I think, is more or less clear. That for me is the, the main tool or the main place from where I, is, is the playground or the battlefield where, where things happen in the event is uh, by also by default what brings a before and after is this huge cut that shakes things that bring crisis or that somehow uh, yeah it's, it's change and transformation and I think that I'm interested in this event and also not from the perspective of how you as an artist can create this event uh, but also when the event is unexpectedly happening to you and how do you react how art can be actually a tool to in, inhabit uh, or let's say navigate uh, in the catastrophe or navigate into the crisis, how, how art can serve as a navigation tool for yeah, making sense out of the event, making sense out of what apparently has no sense at all. What is So I think that this way of understanding art as a meaning-making or uh, giving shape, giving form, uh, bringing a little bit of order where there is too much chaos, yeah, for me it's like the way of understanding what, what art is and yeah, how can art be beneficial for other people. Mm. As you're talking about that, it makes me think about middling, which is a term that Aaron Manning talks about, a cultural theorist based in Montreal. And it's really about this moment within the event where two worlds meet. So it can literally be this morning sun to midday sun. It can be when ice freezes, there's like this change in state, which is really when this shaping shifts into something else. And I find that point, especially within the event, incredibly interesting. And there is really this negotiation that happens. So that really resonates, actually. Nice, yeah. Transitions, uh, liminal spaces. And yeah, and, and how also... That's sometimes the difficulty because we, we get attached to the morning sun and how do we welcome another sun. So I think that the idea of how, how to be able also to break with one's own attachments uh, is at stake here. Also habits, yeah, like uh, how to welcome change uh, in all possible domains is not that easy at all. Absolutely, especially when things feel unstable. I know now a lot of containers, which are these fictional time sections we create, like the nine to five, Monday to Friday time, or project-based time, they begin to shift also as a result of the climate at the moment and the, the crisis that's happening with the pandemic. It's really causing us to question this temporality like what are the containers and these frameworks that we've set up and how do we allow them to change without resistance I know you're doing a lot of work also and research with qigong and tai chi and a lot of very ancient practices and bringing that into your research could you talk a little bit about that yes so six years ago I 
attended by chance a Qigong workshop. And from the first minute, something happened that uh, I, I, it never happened before with any other body practice that from the minute one, I, I fell in love with the practice and I knew that we will stay forever together. And yeah, I mean, there are thousands of ways of practicing Qigong or many different traditions. And in particular, I, I got to know uh, this teacher from Moscow that they, they belong to this tradition of Hun Yuan. Uh, it's an ob- obscure branch of Qigong because they practice with this strange stick that uh, becomes also your partner. And yeah, since then, what has happened basically is that it uh, invited me to start also a research inwards in, towards my, my body, which I never did before in, a, in such, a, such a way. So it was all of a sudden to, as if I would have a new body, what the practice was rendering day by day that uh, my body was changing, was transforming through the practice, but also was giving me new approaches to what is such a thing as my body. And then it became also like a way of self-exploration, but also understand each other's bodies or someone else's body. And uh, I think that since then, actually, I, I can even dare to say that I've been less interested in art or in what I was doing before. And since I went into this journey, yeah, this is taking all my motivation and my joy of, of doing something. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's something that you can dedicate your entire life because also the the so-called learning is, it goes slow, it goes very slowly, step by step. And yeah, so it's something that you also need some perseverance and to to practice uh, daily, on you know, a daily basis, definitely. And yeah, so of course there are, I mean, uh, there are many other ways of uh, exploring one's own, one's own body. Uh, in my case, what uh, what I found in this Neigong or, or, or Qigong approach um, is that the, yeah, the, the body has still potentially many powers. For example, what are the powers of the organs? And that was one of my last recent uh, publications I made also like uh, to acknowledge that the brain has has at least in, in certain culture like the, the is one of the is one of the organs that we train the most and it has this kind of uh, it becomes the dominant organ so the question that uh, Qigong poses is what if we start training other organs maybe we don't know what are they cap- capable of and I think that uh, this idea of uh, Come, uh, arriving into a more like a holistic body that the, all the organs start to collaborate together in, in ways that we, we did, or me personally I didn't even experience before it is uh, mind-blowing uh, and you don't need anything else than time and, and your own body being available there so in that sense it's also uh, very simple because uh, you don't need devices you don't need I mean you carry your body you can practice anywhere anytime which I also find uh, very interesting that no matter where you are, what you are doing, uh, the practice is present. I'm thinking also how then this physical practice can link back to dissolving this line between work and life. I feel like the physical practice is giving you tools perhaps or like a metaphor for then finding this delight in different activities. Maybe you could talk a little bit 
to that? How are we using these physical practices to then, or not even using, I think learning with them and moving this knowledge into different levels of our life from this very concentrated practice to perhaps the broader organization of our day or our year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say that um, usually there is this distinction that I think Alan Capro made in the 60s or 70s about two types of art, like art like art and, uh, and life like art. And it's art that is at the service of art or art of the ser- for the service of life. And I kind of uh, chose the second one, that art is at the service of life. And I always ask myself, yeah, what can I do with all the things that I'm learning when I'm working, let's say more in the, in the professional field, that they are not simply at the service of producing a piece or producing a work? How do they enter my life? And actually, I, I keep practicing them, but also applying them. So it's like, a, I don't know, imagine that you're working on a piece, you spend certain time working on that piece, it has its own research, it has its own movement quality, its own practice, its own form. So then how this can start to per- permeate in, in your life, so it's not simply a DNA a result on the stage that people can see, but also it maybe it makes you to be a different person. And so this direction, not simply, I mean, every, everyone can say, yes, of course, this happens just as a side effect. But what I mean is purposefully taking that this as, as the priority, as the, as the main purpose. So, and I think that the, from that perspective, like uh, ideally there will be this kind of uh, constant awareness of what are we practicing uh, on a daily basis since the moment that uh, we wake up or even during the sleeping and also to understand what are, are we legitimizing with our practices, what are we legitimizing with what we do, and uh, yeah, to, to become aware which wor- worlds we, our practices make and produce. And I think that this is, requires a high level of, of awareness and a, a constant attention and to be very alert about understanding, yeah, how do we produce worlds with, with our actions. So I think that repetition, for example, is, is, is a key thing here because uh, we are what we re- repeatedly do. And otherwise it stays in, into the anecdotic realm, like a one-time event. It was fun, it was good, it was intense, but this doesn't mean that it's gonna have a continuity and it's gonna establish something. So I think that for the sake of establishing something, there is no other way but to perseverate and, and to, be, to understand uh, continuity in, in the practice. So I guess that uh, repetition and practices that are not simply establishing themselves as routines because it's routine sometimes it's lacking this awareness and it's lacking also what is the potential for changing something. But I think that the, the practice has this awareness and the practice has this potentiality of, of, of changing and inviting you to a process of transformation. The interesting or important thing also when, when we speak about worlding and uh, what are the consequences of our action in times of crisis. So I think that the yeah, this is important. And in the case of the somatic practices, I think that uh, that's also inevitably there. Right? What is the political dimension of, of, of the somatic practices as well? Mm, absolutely. And also I think how this term practice, which is a very codified word, I think that's used in art a lot for 
often also capitalist means, like my practice is contemporary dance, my practice is ecology. I really enjoy also thinking about these broader life practices of friendship practices or also perhaps a practice of rhythm, like going slower or kind of deep listening practices that also allow things to come towards you. So it's not a practice that is something I do and I push forward with, but it's also sometimes a practice of surrendering or even just noticing like a shift of awareness. Mm. Do you find that your practices are shifting over time, especially now during COVID? Yes, I think that uh, in, in my case, if I, I can speak from a personal perspective, last year, the 2020, let's say the year one of COVID, it, it happened at the same time as my 40th birthday. And yeah, it was funny because I was turning 40 in Spanish, you say 40, while at the same time you were going through this quarantine which is also, so it was a double quarantine. And uh, yeah, I also realized that um, this was uh, surprisingly affecting me, uh, this number, although I was never really believing that it would be the case. So I think that now, uh, yeah, it feels that uh, I feel ready for things that before I didn't feel ready. Or all of a sudden I'm, contradicting myself uh, with things that I, I thought they are more statemental or, or like a, something that I will hold on. And yes, in the personal level, I see that something is definitely changing. And this is why right now, most of my motivation and energies are going into this level of personal life. Uh, I feel, must, I must confess, I feel a little bit unmotivated recently to do projects or to work. And yeah, like uh, my energies are going more into this. Yeah, like all of a sudden I'm discovering myself anew through friendship, through, through love as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of plunging myself and dedicating myself fully to, to those parts of my life. And I'm kind of uh, going through a process of something is definitely changing. And yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting, I must say. <laughs> Great. I'm also excited for you. A new decade. That's amazing. It's a big achievement, I feel. <laughs> I wondered, Diego, if there was a way that listeners can experience your practice. We've touched on work and life, but also more personal ideas around spirituality and Qigong and ancient forms of knowledge. Is there a way that listeners, whether they're artists or have different work or life interests, can experience physically some of the ideas we've touched on today? Sure. I mean, I can propose one which is not necessarily connected to any tradition or any context, which, uh, but rather I think that this belongs to, in general, any form of uh, life, any form of being, which is... Uh, self-excitement, a practice of self-touching or self-treatment or, and in this case, uh, uh, I mainly use my hands. Sometimes I also use this stick, but in the case of the stick, it's, it's actually coming from a particular tradition. But for example, I will never forget that my grandmother, she, she never knew anything about Qigong. 
but every morning she would do qigong and i would witness her going for 45 minutes in the living room making all these stretching exercises and touching giving herself massages with some plants alcohol plants that she would prepare herself so i i take my grandmother actually as a very big influence in this level because uh, yeah she was in her body all the time and somehow she always showed me what the body can do and thanks to her i i think that i also have certain, such a high esteem the body and basically i mean what what i guess that everyone has somehow already a practice of self-touching in, in whatever level or dimension we we want but i also like to propose it as a something that you actually take your time and with curiosity and dedication first of all like uh, stimulating other organs that uh, maybe you were not even familiar that they might be there or or that they might be susceptible of, uh, of being touched and it's like also like a way of discovering the body through, through touch and which points how, how the different points react to your touch do you feel pain do you feel pleasure what kind of pain or what, what kind of pleasure is it a, a pain that you think is it's a good pain. It's, it's a pain that when you touch there uh, and you breathe or, or you send your breath into that point that you are touching, uh, maybe something is opening up. So I think that the, yeah, to give agency to your fingers and to your hands to and, and, and to trust what what is the wisdom, the inherent wisdom of your hands, uh, because I think that the, the hands they carry already a lot of uh, wisdom that uh, comes from many, many, many years before we even were born and I think that uh, there is something about uh, letting the hands decide for you that I find always uh, very interesting and uh, at the end uh, yeah you, you, you check yourself how how do you feel and, and at some point you can even become addicted I, I ended up touching myself everywhere I, I am so yeah like uh, I think in, in this in this respect, uh, I, w I will not give instructions, but more like uh, encourage people to to take seriously this exploration and this self-touching, and to yeah to travel through the body uh, as if it's like an open book that uh, you didn't know that is written, and yeah, it's like a journey somehow, and, and then in, in collaboration with breathing and, and how do you actually they are in dialogue because the places that you touch, you you can also send your breath over there and and some points are stagnated the energy is stagnated and, and you slowly realize that if you do it every day they start to open up and there are new sensations appearing but also uh, that you can have awareness in, in points that you didn't even know that you can have awareness so uh, at some point the mind is not only related to the brain but like the whole body is a huge mind and yeah, and also you start to listen to these other organs and to listen to these other body parts. They have something to tell you. It's also like a, a, to give voice to, to the rest of the body because, as I said before, I think that sometimes we uh, the, the brain is taking over uh, too much. Totally. As you're speaking, I'm following my body with my hands and I'm at the kind of softer point underneath my knee and I just realized I always like massage the top of my knee and the patella, the floating bone on the top of the knee. Mm -hmm. And the underside of the knee is something I often skip. 
those. Hmm. You talked also, Diego, about um, the practice you were doing with the wooden stick. And I wondered, a focus of this podcast has really been on more than human worlds. So not focusing only on the human body, which obviously we know a lot about because we're moving with it and, and through it, but also different bodies that are perhaps a little bit further away from our sphere of consciousness, whether that be the computer or a plant, um, both animate and non-animate objects. And I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about the stick that you practice with, this wooden stick that moves you. Definitely the, um, this particular stick, well, there are two types, but uh, mainly at some point during the practice of uh, Qigong in, in the Taoist monks and, and, and places where they were practicing, they realized that if the students will hold uh, this piece of wood in their hands, they will focus more. So at the beginning it was also like for the purposes of uh, holding the attention and and while you hold the stick you, you concentrate better but then things started to happen and then you realize that the stick also uh, starts to have its own agency and its own will and because one of the one of the effects of of the qigong is that you reach a state that uh, you become so sensitive of Everything that is going through your body, let's say we can call it cosmic uh, forces or uh, yeah, like things that are traversing everything, not only that are not particularly only what I call myself. So you become so sensitive to those energies that they move you. And I think that the, the stick is also like a, an amplifier of because you also hold it in your hands in the Lao Gong point in the center of your palm which stimulates the, is one of the energy gates of the body, so it stimulates the energy and the circulation of it. So let's say that the, the interesting moment is when you're, you feel that your body is being moved by something else. And so the stick somehow, um, it is also like a, becomes part of your body or the other way around, or you become part of the stick, maybe more precisely. It is definitely like a, there is some form of unity there uh, or a collaboration with, in this case, a very simple object because it's just a piece of wood that, again, you don't need uh, to charge the battery or and almost anyone can have access to a piece of wood. So at the same time, it's also an object that you, you can carry with you and it's all the time calling you to, to practice. So I also like to, to take this thing with me and, yeah, as if I'm, I'm taking my phone. Uh, so, because I guess that, again, this allows continuity. This allows that the practice never stops. Wonderful. Talking about the stick, it really resonates also this balance, I think. It's a really beautiful metaphor, actually, for balance of when something has agency that is in contact with you or you take the agency. I think it's a beautiful metaphor for this balance also that we've been kind of circulating around today with work and life and how these questions are very present at the moment in relation to the current crisis. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Diego. I know you've lined up someone to continue this string figure would you introduce them to listeners, please? 
Yes, so it's, uh, her name is uh, Teti Lei, and besides being one of my best friends, also is a practice partner from where I, from who I have learned a lot, and I'm sure that uh, all all the listeners will be also very curious and excited about everything that she has to say. Mm, thank you so much. Wow, so much to digest and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Diego. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to The Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.